This podcast contains adult language and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Crime. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime, Crimeaniacs. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I was trying to do like a little Animaniacs meets crime kind of thing, but... What the hell is Animaniacs? You don't... Okay. Okay. You don't remember the Animaniacs? No. What are you talking Is it a oh cartoon? Oh my God. Yeah, of course. Sounds it was a like cartoon, cartoon in the 90s where all these... They bounced around and I think they were cats or something i don't even know what maybe they were mice i don't know what they were but they <laughs> sounds whole, great i can't believe oh it was the best that's where pinky and the brain came from a whole bunch of songs i can't believe you don't know the animaniacs that's grant we've the, gone over this i didn't watch cartoons as a kid this was different this was the animaniacs like i watched like mary poppins time. and bed knobs and broomsticks and that's pretty much it. I don't know what Bedknobs and Broomsticks is, but... It's a movie uh, that was almost as good as Mary Poppins. Oh, yeah. It sounds like it, because everybody knows that one. I can't <laughs> believe... You, I can't believe you don't know Animaniacs. That's, nope. That's wild. I can't wrap my head around that. Well... I can't believe you didn't know the Animaniacs. No. Sorry about that. But do you know what I do know? True crime stories. Do you want to get to this one? I do, but I also want to <laughs> judge you... A little bit too, but we can jump into this one. So tonight's case, we're going to talk about Jamie Fraley, and she is a young girl from North Carolina, and she went missing in 2008. So we'll start with a little background on Jamie, because you kind of have to understand who she is to understand her story. So she was born in 1986 in Gaston County, and her mom's name is Kim. Her mom has said in interviews that her birth was extremely difficult, and her and Jamie almost didn't make it. And the doctors told her that Jamie wouldn't survive, but she did survive. She was a little fighter. Yeah, I've heard lots of stories about her and how, like, you know, she wasn't supposed to make it past a month, and then a year, then two years, and three years, and then she'd grown up and been, you know, became a full-fledged adult it's weird because it's like once you tell a mom like oh she's not gonna make it past one month she's not gonna make it past two months she's not gonna make it it's like just stop she's obviously making it yeah (laughs) yeah i but i i get it too like you want to be you know upfront and honest with them so that they're not surprised i guess she did have some physical and mental health issues though throughout her life and jamie mostly suffered with anxiety and she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder as a teenager and she struggled off and on with getting her medication right. And like most people do who have bipolar, you know, she was sometimes on, sometimes off. And she was also a very small, petite person. She was only about 4'8", 4'9", and somewhere between 85 to 90 pounds. Yeah, that's tiny. That's a very small person. I feel like, isn't that how tall Furby is? <laughs> no, apparently <laughs> she thinks she's like 5'2", or so. But um, I, give her a, I know, I give her a solid 5 foot. I'm like, if she's 5'2", I'm 5'7", so that works out. I give you a solid 5'2", so. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, by 2008, Jamie was 22 years old, and she was trying to gain a little bit of independence from her mom. She had depended on her mom her whole life, and she was living on her own finally at the Copperfield Apartments in Gastonia, North Carolina, which was about an hour away from where her mom lives. And she didn't drive 
So she also was on Social Security and she had something that was known as a provider who was assigned to help her with her finances and her health care and pick her up and drive her to doctor's appointments and stuff. It was almost like a social worker is the way I understand it. Yeah, kind of like a helper. But calling it a provider, it's a really it's a weird way to, to describe it. But that is kind of how yeah. her provider has always been described is a provider. Yeah. But Jamie also had a fiance named Ricky Jr. Or as I like to call them, little Ricky for the I Love Lucy fans in the house. Hey, I've but, seen I Love Lucy. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> You've seen the most popular show ever in, in TV history. Great. <laughs> They'd been together for a couple of years and they were already pretty serious. They were living together at the Copperfield Apartments in 2007. Yeah, which is crazy because everything I've heard says that when they met in 2006, they just like immediately were head over heels and they were going to get engaged and nobody could tell her anything about, hey, slow down, take it easy. Like she was just not hearing any of it. She was going to marry him and that was the end of it. I wonder if he was like her first real adult relationship. You know, I don't. I wonder if that's why she locked in on him so quickly. Yeah, it could be because she was just newly gaining independence from living with her mom and stuff like that. She was growing up. Yeah, exactly. So I think that might be kind of why like she that's an adult thing to do is to have a boyfriend and you know to yeah. live together. And so I wonder if that was kind of part of it. Yeah, because she wanted to do the adult things that all of her friends were doing. She just some things she couldn't do like drive and work and stuff like that. So maybe I mean, I don't know. We've all been 22 and in love and thought we were going to marry somebody or did marry somebody that we probably shouldn't have. So I mean, I hear you, Jamie. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that so funny? I don't know. It's just, uh, you just said said it so nonchalant. Like, we've all been 22 and, you know, married people we probably shouldn't have. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) well, I wasn't even 22. I was 20. (laughs) You're judgy, Grant, because you haven't had a starter marriage yet. So you're like, eh. I haven't. When I do it, I'm going to do it right. I know. See? And I'm just saying, I'm doing it right. Yeah. My fiance didn't, but I am. (laughs) (laughs) See, that might have to be taken out. I know. You you and Matt get all on your high horse about that. Like, oh, we've only done it (laughs) once. It's like, well, fuck you guys. Well. (laughs) (laughs) You waited for the right one. There you go. That's a better way to put it. Christine and I have to learn by error. Oh, you guys have to trial by fire? Yeah. I sit back and watch you guys make mistakes, and I was like, oh, that one. I'll take that one. Thank you. And off I went. (laughs) But Jamie and Ricky, you know, their relationship moved really quickly, and in 2007, Ricky had been arrested and was sentenced to 15 months in prison for theft. Yeah, that sucks. Sucks for a new budding relationship. It does. Makes it real hard. Yeah, but Jamie was a ride or die, though. She stuck it out with Ricky Jr., which is more than I could say for me, because I would not. No, you wouldn't. I'd be like, 15 months in prison? Goodbye. Have a good one. <laughs> I'll get catch you on the flip side. Yeah, I'd be like, what do you want me to do for 15 months? Nothing? That's crazy. No. But <laughs> she wrote him letters every day and called and visited him as much as possible. And when he was locked up, Jamie started spending a lot of time with his dad, Rick Sr., and his dad's girlfriend, Kim. Rick was the maintenance man for the apartment complex that Jamie lived in, and he lived in the complex, too, just a couple doors down from her. So they really started spending a lot of time together, and he kind of was like looking out for Jamie. Yeah, it sounds like the perfect situation, honestly. It sounds like, you know, you're 
fiance's dad is just around the corner. He's super helpful. Not only that, he's a maintenance man, so he can be really helpful when, you know, something breaks. Maybe if he was anybody else. Right. Exactly. Rick Sr. and Kim had a history of struggling with, with addiction and one of Jamie's biggest goals in life was to be a substance abuse counselor to help people like them. Yeah, I feel like maybe that's part of the reason why she gravitated towards them so much is because she wanted to help them. I think so, too. I mean, I think it was just kind of that perfect storm. She saw something wrong and she thought she could help. Yeah, but it turns out Rick, Big Rick, liked spending time with Jamie and was even kind of like obsessed with her people say and would make like really inappropriate jokes and things like that but he also would give her rides places when she needed it and even though he was a little inappropriate jamie looked at their relationship like paternally but people from the outside didn't they were like yeah this is kind of weird and this may have even been like one of the contributing factors to kim and rick's breakup but we'll circle back around to that when we get to it yeah it's true you know i've heard a lot of different stories about how Rick and Jamie interacted and he would comment on what she was wearing a lot and how she looked and, and things like that. Yeah. That, you know, a father-in-law probably shouldn't be doing. Yeah. But, and it wasn't just like, Oh, you look nice today. It was like about how short her shorts were about how low her top was cut or, you know, right. Really uncomfortable stuff. Yeah. In, April of 2008, Jamie was getting really excited for Ricky's release from prison. It was only a few weeks away, but on the morning of April 7th, 2008, Jamie woke up super sick and she went to the local ER where they told her she just kind of had the stomach flu and to go home, drink fluids, and get some rest. That didn't sit quite right with her. She thought it was more, but... She went home and did it, and Kim, Rick Sr.'s ex-girlfriend, she came by that evening and picked up Jamie's prescriptions that she had gotten from the hospital and dropped it off at the pharmacy for her so that they would be ready. What's kind of weird about that is that she didn't drop the prescriptions off. It's like, if you went to the hospital because you were so sick and they gave you a prescription to get better, why wouldn't you go get it? And I get it. She doesn't drive, but it's like... Right, and that's kind of what I was thinking, too. I think maybe, you know, someone picked her up. They were on a time crunch. Hey, I got to get you. Get back. We'll get them, you know, later tonight or something, And, you know, I can understand if she just had the stomach flu, why you kind of put those off. It's not like she had something that was life threatening and, oh, my gosh, you have to have this reversible thing. So, But it does seem pretty bad because around 10 o'clock that same night, Jamie was super sick and getting worse. And she decided that she needed to go back to the ER, which I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like, why not try the prescriptions first? (laughs) Like... They gave you a prescription already at the ER, but either way, she didn't think it was going to help, and maybe she thought there was something worse. Maybe she thought that it wasn't the stomach flu. And that's kind of what I've always thought, is that she didn't think it was the stomach flu. She thought it was something else, and so she was going back for a different diagnosis. I think that's why she didn't rush to get those things, too, is she didn't think she had the stomach flu. Yeah, So she didn't drive, obviously, so she had Rick Sr. take her to the ER, But like a dick, he just dropped her off out front and was like, see ya. And when she went inside and checked in, the people at the front desk told her it was going to be like a three hour wait. And Jamie said, forget this and didn't want to sit in the ER throwing up and shivering all night. So she called another neighbor to come pick her up because when she called Rick Sr., he probably wasn't even home yet from dropping her off. Well, it's 2008. You'd think he'd have a cell phone by then. But yeah, you know. But still, he didn't answer. Yeah, so she called another neighbor to come pick her up. And this neighbor dropped Jamie off at her apartment around midnight and said that 
the last time he saw her, Jamie was walking in the door of her apartment. And we believe that because there's more activity with her after that. So we know she made it home from that hospital trip. Right, exactly. And Jamie called her mom. She was really close with her mom. And her mom offered to come to her house and, you know, help her out if she was going to be that sick. But Jamie had a really important meeting the next morning with the Social Security office and with her her helper, her provider. And she was supposed to get picked up in the morning by her provider and take her to the meeting because she didn't want to miss it. Yeah, because the meeting was supposed to be about her getting her independence. She wanted to be able to take control of her own finances, but because she had this provider, the provider took care of her finances. So the meeting was literally about her getting her independence. So calling out sick, even if she was really sick, probably wouldn't look that good on trying to get your independent, you know, trying to say that you're capable of taking care of yourself. Right, exactly. So around 2 a.m. though, she called another friend. They talked on the phone for a while and she told that friend that she was so sick she had to go back to the ER. She didn't mention to her friend who was taking her to the ER, but she mentioned a few things like, I gotta go, he's here, you know, his truck just pulled up. So there's been a lot of talk about it being a guy driving a truck, but she didn't say who it was that was picking her up. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the last we hear from Jamie because the next morning her provider went to her apartment to pick her up, but she didn't answer the door and she missed her appointment. So as it would turn out, she never made it to the hospital that last time either. The provider, for some reason, waited the next until the next day to call Jamie's mom and let her know that she was missing or that she had missed her appointment. But I get this too. I understand why. Why? Because the provider, you know, she knows that Jamie's kind of, you know, going for her own independence and things like that. Maybe she stepped out. She knows yeah, that but she it's even, literally her you know, hangs job out with Rick Sr. To take care of Jamie. To pick her up and get her to appointments. I get and that. Because as of right now, the state thinks that Jamie can't take care of herself. So she literally has a social worker provided to her to take care of her. So if that person can't get a hold of her, you would think the first thing she would do is call her emergency contact. Yeah, but she's also an adult, so I don't think it's that but weird. But she can't take care of herself. I don't think it's that weird because I think Jamie can take care of herself and her provider knows that. I, and I know how important this meeting is, but I'm not. it doesn't raise red flags to me that I would go running off like, hey, her, she didn't answer the door or anything like that. But maybe I'm just irresponsible. I don't know. I think that that's ridiculous. I mean, her job is literally to provide help to Jamie because the state doesn't think she can do it on her own. And she came. She came to work with Jamie. So she came to do her job and she probably had other things to do for other people and she moved on to the next. Yeah. This is her job. I totally get it. And nobody in that situation, well, <laughs> I think you and I might because we host a true crime podcast. But most people in that situation probably aren't thinking what we would be thinking there. But that's, to me, what's weird is you're like, oh, she had other things to do. It's like, nope, she was supposed to be with Jamie at that appointment. So she didn't have other things planned. So it's like, what'd she do for that two hours? Go get her fucking nails done? Like Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I just don't love that. I don't, I, to me, there's some problem with this. Like, either that lady wasn't doing her job or there's more to that story. I think there's a piece of it that, she wasn't doing her job. That's yeah. kind of what I've gotten from that is that she yeah. wasn't doing her job. But I understand too that she was just like, cool, free afternoon off, whatever. I'll hear from Jamie. Probably not thinking the worst. Maybe her mom ended up taking her. You know, that's that's kind of the headspace I think is going on in the provider's head. Yeah, well, it turns out that sucks because by the time her mom finds out about it, it's a day or two later. 
her mom decided, oh my God, you know, and started calling Jamie. Jamie wasn't answering. So her mom lives an hour away. So she called the local police while she was on her way to Jamie's apartment. And when the police got there, the apartment manager had to let them in because her door was locked. And the police went in, said nothing looked amiss, and left. So by the time Jamie's mom got there, her and Jamie's cousin, I think, was with her. Was it the cousin? Yeah, it was the cousin. Yeah. So her and Jamie's cousin go in. The apartment manager lets them in. And they immediately notice things are amiss. Jamie's purse and wallet and ID and keys, everything are all still in the apartment, even though the apartment was locked. Yeah, that's the weird thing is that her keys were still in the apartment because obviously if she was going out, she wouldn't have locked the door behind her without her keys. Yeah. The only thing about that is she was very sick. So true. she could have just been a little disoriented, but it is weird not to take your purse and your wallet with you when you know you're going to the ER. Yeah, exactly. You need your ID. You need your insurance card. Like, that's weird. And then her mom and her cousin also found in her apartment her tennis shoes that she always wore. She had like a pair of tennis shoes and a pair of flip-flops. And the tennis shoes were in the apartment with no laces in them, which Jamie wasn't known to wear them without laces. They always had laces. And then her flip-flops were not in the apartment. So they're assuming she was wearing her flip-flops. That would make sense. I would think to go the, to the ER, she would have put her shoes on. But again, maybe she's super sick and can't, you know, go through the effort of putting shoes and socks on. I get that. Yeah. That does to me, doesn't... I mean, I wear flip-flops in December, so... I, I would want to cover up and be closed-toed to go into the ER, but that's me. Yeah. So everything's in her apartment. Her keys, her wallet, her purse, her ID... All of this. The only thing that's missing is Jamie and her phone. On April 11th, 2008, that's when they filed the missing persons report with the local police. And it wasn't until April 13th that they would then find her cell phone. And it was found by an employee for a local cable company who was working on some lines at an intersection about a mile and a half away from Jamie's apartment. Yeah, the Jamie's mom was calling her phone trying to find, you know, and I'm sure other friends and everybody trying to find her. And this guy says he was working on some lines and he just heard a phone ringing in the median in the middle of the intersection. He was like, what in the heck? And so he went and he found the phone that was ringing and he answered it. That's a noble thing to do. Yeah, except kind of sucky too at the same time because that kind of blew everything because too many people touched the phone so they couldn't right. fingerprint it or anything. Yeah, but, but how is he supposed to know that? Like he can only you I know, know. do so totally. much. But it was found in the center median, like the grass center median of the road, like somebody had tossed it out the window while they were driving. And it makes you wonder, was it Jamie tossing her phone out so someone could find her? Or, you know, was it the person she was with tossing it out so nobody could find her? To me, being the center median of the road, it feels like somebody on the driver's side. That's how it feels to me, too. Yeah, that's how it feels to me, too. But I know there's speculation for kind of both angles. Right. You know, like maybe she was, you know, taken off on her own. But Yeah. So the cell phone wasn't much of a lead, though. It was determined that there was a couple of calls made around 4.30 a.m., but none of them ever connected, and they were all people that were on, like, her recently called list. Then a phone call was received around 5 a.m. from an unknown number. But it doesn't look like any of these calls ever connected. Yeah, that's kind of what I've seen, too, is that the calls were made, but nothing's ever connected. And Yeah, so they don't know if Jamie made the calls or... 
I wouldn't think somebody who abducted her would have made calls, do you? Mm. Not to people she knows. Probably not to people she knows, yeah. Maybe to numbers yeah. that she didn't know, but yeah, probably not to people that she knows. That does seem a little It off. seems more like something that she did or maybe even a butt dial situation, like if there was a struggle for the phone. Yeah, and I could see that, you know, like, I mean, although in 2008, those were flip phones, so even the struggle, you know, you got to close up your iPhones were out in 2008. Well, I, you think these people had them already? I mean, it was a while before everybody had iPhones. I don't know. I, I'm trying to remember when I got my first iPhone. I feel like it was way before 2008. I don't remember when I got mine, but it was definitely after. Probably like 2000. I'm going to say 2011 is when I say I got my first iPhone. Yeah, but you're still using like an iPhone 3 right now. So. Excuse me. I've upgraded to the iPhone 11 Pro. So what? When? Because we had to add people onto our plans and stuff. There were people moving and shaking. The cheapest way to do it was hand down the phone I already have. Trust me, I didn't want to lose my button, but here we are. I know you're so funny. You still had a button. Hey, I feel you, dude. I had the six plus forever. I just got a new phone, and I don't even have the 11. I only got the 10. <laughs> I'm hoping that the next version comes back with a button, but. I'm in, I'm into what I got. It's fine. I can't believe that you have a newer phone than I do. Well, you can we can switch phones. I don't care. No, I care even less than you do. <laughs> Apparently, because you only have a ten. Yeah. So there have been no signs of Jamie since all of this happened, but there is one main suspect in her disappearance, and that's her fiance's dad, Big Rick, Rick Senior. Yeah. He was the last person to drive her to the ER that night, and it's very possible that he was gonna be the person who drove her to the ER again. Yeah, the only thing that's a little confusing on that to me is the friend that she was talking to on the phone when she was picked up knew who Rick Sr. was, and she didn't say, hey, Rick took me to the hospital earlier, he's taking me again. Like, she specifically didn't say who was taking her. That's kind of weird, right? Like, how do you even have a conversation with somebody and tell them that somebody's taking you somewhere without saying who the person is? So I don't think that it's weird. And here's why. One, she's already super sick, so she's probably not thinking right. And two, because in the heat of just going, oh, he's here, gets up and goes. Some people, that's how they talk anyway. Just, oh, they think that you know what's going on in their brain already. So, oh, there he's here, and they move on. You know, I could totally see that it being Rick Sr. and her just going, yep, he's here. Thanks. Okay, I'm, I'm leaving. Bye. Yeah, that's interesting, though, that she could have a conversation with somebody and not say who was picking her up. But either way... Rick is the number one suspect because he did drive her to the ER earlier. He was known to give her rides and she had told her friend that she was getting a ride back to the ER. And it would make sense because there's no record of her calling anybody to ask for a ride. So it would have had to have been somebody that she communicated with not on the phone, I would imagine. Like somebody who lived two doors down from her? Yeah. Weird. He is the number one suspect, Rick Sr., because he is a sketchy dude. Along with, like, all of his drug problems, he was arrested in the 80s for strangling his girlfriend. Oh, this sounds like maybe we have a suspect. Yeah, and for some reason, he only spent six years in prison for her murder before he was paroled. Which is nuts. It's absolutely nuts that you only get six years totally. for, I think it was, was it uh, stage two murder? What do you call it? Stage two Degree to second degree. Second degree. There, hey, see, I got there. <laughs> I was on my way. Um, we have no way of knowing because where he was arrested, the police department in that city went bankrupt, 
And when that happens, the county sheriffs takes over that city police department. And when that all happened, all the records for that murder were lost. So we have no way of knowing that. Wow. But I'm pretty sure it was because he probably took a plea deal for second-degree murder or manslaughter or something like that, which is still bullshit. Six years is still not enough. No, it's not. I, I don't care if it was an accident. I can't believe he only got six years at all, even with records being lost and stuff. Like, that Yeah, is not how that should be going. Yeah. It's crazy. So when he was questioned for Jamie's disappearance, because he was one of the last people to see her alive, and people know that he was kind of weird with her, the police say that he was pretty cooperative, like, on the surface, but they could tell he was hiding something, and he wouldn't take a lie detector, which is totally A-okay with me. I would never take a lie detector, so... Yeah, at this point... I'm fine with that. At this point, for sure. There's no reason to take a lie detector. Like, from crime to crime, life rule... 45 or something. Yeah. It can't help you. It can only hurt you. So don't even do it. But it does make him look sketchy that he won't do it. <laughs> oh, it absolutely does. But totally. And because of that, this obviously sets off some alarm bells with police because they know his yeah. past. So they decide, hey, we got to keep an eye on this guy. And as they are keeping tabs on him, they notice that he, again, is doing some pretty creepy stuff when it comes to his ex girlfriend, Kim. The police decided to reach out and warn Kim that. She needs to keep one eye open and out for Rick Sr. because he's doing some real weird stuff and she should probably take a restraining up. Well, because they're following him around and they can see that he's going to her work and her house and all this stuff. And they're like, hey, that's they broke up. This is not right. Right. And they're like, hey, you should probably get a restraining order. Yeah. And she did. As she should have. Yeah. So she was at work and she got the restraining order against Rick Sr. She gets off of work one night pretty late and she gets into her car and she notices this like kind of yucky smell. Like, oh, I might have left some Chinese food in here or something weird. You know? <laughs> that's that's what it smells like? Well, I mean, I'm sure at first she was like, what the hell? Because she said like she cleaned out her car. She was looking for like to-go containers or a grocery bag or something that she left in her car and she cleaned out the inside of her car and she never found anything. And then the next day she got in her car to go to church or something the next morning. And she noticed that the smell got worse and she was like, Oh my gosh. So she was like looking on the outside of her car thinking she hit like a bird or an animal and it was like stuck under her car and nothing. So after a while she was like, well, I guess I better look in the trunk and see if I left a gallon of milk in there or something like, what the hell? You know, and when she opened the trunk. This is my favorite whoops. part of the entire story. Inside the trunk of her car, she found the body of Rick Simmons Sr. With Rick's body, they found a set of Kim's missing keys that were stolen a week earlier. And the police believe that he broke into her car with the keys that he stole and climbed into the trunk with the intent of attacking her you know maybe even killing her yeah because he had a knife with him also right and it's you know kind of weird that he would fall in there and then not be able to get out because there was a functioning emergency latch inside the trunk of the car but <laughs> you know kind of some of the reports i've heard is he had booze and he had you know other kinds of drugs in his body so combining those with the heat of the car yeah, he was fucked up. Yeah, he was super disoriented and yeah. pro probably ended up dying in the trunk of heat stroke. Well, he didn't probably. That was his well, cause of death was well, heat right. stroke he, in the well, trunk. Right, he did so. die of heat stroke in the trunk. And, yeah. you know, 
all of that so that he could ambush Kim. But the heat stroke obviously disoriented him enough that he couldn't even find the latch to, you know, get out. And the cops tested the latch. After they found his body, they tested the latch and the latch was totally functioning. So this idiot could have totally gotten out of the trunk when he started to get too hot, but he was just like drunk and died. I know. Which, thank God for Kim. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, what a crazy thing to do. I mean, you have the smell. You're never expecting it to be that, you know? Not no only kidding. that, but that of somebody you know. Like, what a, oh my gosh, what a terrifying. Well, and somebody who's been stalking you that you have a restraining order against. It's like, imagine the mental shit that she had to go through after that, knowing that he was in her trunk. Oh, yeah. She doesn't know how long he was in there, if that was the first time he had done that or, you know. It's true. But maybe he was just lying and waiting, you know, several times. And then this was the time. Yeah. So if Rick Sr. had any answers about Jamie's disappearance, he took them with him to his grave because, you know, he was dead now. So they're not getting anything out of him. No, he's he's pretty quiet now. Tight lipped, if you will. Yeah. Like like factory beans. And the saddest part about that is that he probably knows, you know. Dude, you're not going to have any comment on my Thackeray Binks comment? Nothing? No, because I don't know how that played played into it. Because his lips were tight shut. Thackeray Binks was the cat, dude. You're talking about the zombie that was in the grave. That was Jimmy or whatever. Oh, they weren't like one and the same? They weren't connected? No, Thackeray was the teenage boy and that turned into the black cat. Yeah, I knew that. I thought that... Zombie guy, the Edward Scissorhand looking guy. I thought they were like, you know, kind of all connected. And like that was the body of of Thackeray Binks. And, you know, Thackeray was actually, you know, Salem in the body and stuff like that. So, oh, well. I don't know how you watch movies sometimes. I Just like I listen to true like, crime stuff. Just, I watch it and like, then I forget all about stuff it. Up? Yeah. And then you just fill in the blanks with whatever your brain thinks. Well, for some things like this, yeah. Now I'm going to have to Google what that vo- fucking zombie... If you know the the, not the name of the zombie in Hocus Pocus, leave us a comment at From Crime to Crime, and you'll win something. I'm going to laugh so hard if you're right. Now. Yeah, Billy Butcherson. Oh, well. I just Googled it. It's Billy Butcherson. I mean, I was pretty close. No, because he had his mouth sewed shut by Winifred, and... and... God damn it, Grant. We'll just watch Hocus Pocus again. Look, you it's can't the, just make shit up. It's the same movie, so I feel like I get points for that because I don't watch a lot it of It is movies. the same movie. See? But you can't get all like shitty with me that I didn't laugh at your joke that didn't make sense. Well, then you should have corrected me immediately, so that's still on you. Oh, Jesus. I win. Okay. Anyways, when Ricky Jr. was released from prison a few weeks after Jamie's disappearance, he ended up going to live with Jamie's family Because I'm sure he probably figured out that his dad had something to do with this. And apparently their relationship was pretty contentious. Apparently they didn't really get along that much before he went to prison. And before any of this stuff happened. Makes sense. His dad's a creep. Yeah. And his dad wasn't around. His dad was in prison. And I mean, even though he only did six years for that murder that he committed in the 80s, I'm sure that was... Ricky Simmons Jr. was like 17 when he was released. So they didn't spend a lot of time together when he was growing up. Right. So. And no wonder you only got six years in the 80s. It was a lawless land. You could do whatever you wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he ended up going to live with Jamie's parents to try to like get his life together and find Jamie. And for a while he was doing really well and he was searching for Jamie every day. And Yeah, he had like dedicated his life to it. Yeah. But I have seen that he really hasn't kept his 
nose clean since. Like when you search him on the internet, it's pretty much just like a long string of mugshots. Oh, really? He just hasn't been able to pick himself up? No, it doesn't seem like it. A man named Jerry Case supposedly confessed to killing Jamie while serving time in prison for kidnapping. So, you know, he kind of fits the bill. But the police were completely dismissed by this because he was already in custody the day of Jamie's disappearance. So there's no way that it could have been him. And I don't understand idiots like this who confess to crimes they didn't commit. It's like, okay, if you want to seem more badass or whatever you think it makes you look like, but you just look like an idiot when you confess to a crime that happened while you were in prison. Yeah, I've kind of wondered that too. You hear about that and, you know. All the time you hear about it. Yeah, all the time. And it's like, for what? And I think a lot of guys, if they're not on, they're trying to get to death row. So, you know, they have more of a cush lifestyle. But still. Do you think that's it? Or do you think that they confess to the one that they got caught for? So now they're confessing to these other ones so that those are false confessions. So then it makes you think like, oh, maybe his first one was false, too. No, I don't think it's I think it's more so that because they're trying to get something like whether it's, you know, some accommodations. So we're going to give you some information, even if it's false, so that I have a better situation. I don't think they're they're doing sometimes I think they're doing it for notoriety, but more often than not, I think that it's, you know, to gain something in some some capacity yeah but he didn't know any details that were outside of what was released to the public outside of already being you know arrested so the police were like yeah dude go away no yeah of course not so jamie michelle fraley was 22 years old when she disappeared and she would be 35 years old today if she was still alive and at the time of her disappearance she was between four eight and four nine And about 90 pounds. She has a tattoo on her right ankle that says Ricky. And she had like strawberry blonde hair and blue eyes. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Jamie Fraley, please contact the Gaston County Police at 704-866-3321 or Crime Stoppers at 704-861-8000. Or send us an email at fromcrimecrime at gmail.com and... We'll send it along anyway. We'll, we'll forward <laughs> so, it for you. You can so, also leave a comment on our Instagram app from Crime to Crime. Okay. Oh, that's another thing that we forgot to mention. We yeah. did forget about that. Yeah. yeah. Jamie ran a MySpace page for missing people. Yeah. She was a true crime buff. Right. So how crazy is that? That she was super into this stuff and yeah. knew the signs to she- look for and, and still ended up going missing. Yeah, and she also ran a MySpace page for the Jean Benet Ramsey case. That's true. She did. So she was a sleuth. You know, she would she would have been real into from crime to crime, no doubt. Yeah. Ironically, she ended up being a victim. And one of the MySpace pages that she ran for a missing person from North Carolina, that person ended up being found later alive. It's her time next, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It is kind of interesting when you hear about her being a true crime buff. I can't believe we forgot to say that in the beginning. Yeah, I forgot about that, too. So it does seem obvious that Rick is Rick Sr. is the most likely suspect, obviously. He definitely But since is. he's dead, we'll probably never know unless he had an accomplice. I could see the neighbor being his accomplice and, you know, maybe helping out in that kind of a situation. And, you know, maybe Rick was in that van or in that truck or whatever and, you know. The attack happened that way. It's tough to say because he's dead now. Yeah. It does seem weird, though, that 
they've never released what her phone, you know, they've said she called her mom and her friend, but they've never said that she called anybody else between. So it's like it would have had to have been Rick or the other neighbor that dropped her off. I think so. Because she didn't call anybody. Right. I think it was one or even both of the neighbors and maybe they were in on it together. Yeah. Well, I would hope that the police really looked into the other neighbor that dropped her off and they say he's not a suspect, but, but you know, maybe you would he hope is. they really looked into that. Yeah, cuz he technically was the last person to physically see her alive. Right. So he definitely Because it was after. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I mean, you know, it definitely he... Other people had talked to her after he saw her, but he was the last one to see her alive. Hmm. All right. Well, do you have anything else that you think we forgot or anything? I don't think we anything that we forgot. I think we remembered everything that we forgot, thankfully. So. Alrighty. Give us a follow on Instagram at From Crime to Crime. Like, comment, review on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast because those things matter way more than they should. If you guys have any theories on what happened to Jamie or if you think Rick Sr. did it or who you think did it, come let us know on Instagram or on TikTok. At From Crime to Crime. And I forgot we are big on TikTok now. So <laughs> come come see us do some TikToks because uh, we're, we're figuring out how to do TikTok. We're brand new to it. So come and come see what we got for you because uh, we're about to take TikTok by storm. Yeah. So, all right, buddy. Love you. All right. Love you too. Bye.